Hello, mm -hmm. my name is Jacob, and I'm a Norse pagan, and welcome to the 12th episode of the Folk Podcast. We have a really interesting guest today. We have Myron, who is a veteran law enforcement officer. Um, he is a coach in martial arts, um, and he wants to discuss the warrior path today with us. But let's have him talk about his life a little bit more. Myron, go ahead and introduce yourself. Okay, hey everybody, my name is Myron Godet. Um, I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana. A um, little bit about me. Uh, I've been in the martial arts for approximately 38 years. Uh, I've also been a pagan for the majority of that time as well. Um, I've studied many different martial arts disciplines, including boxing, kickboxing, judo, jujitsu. Uh, but I've also gone into some of the more uh, metaphysical paths of, as far as meditation, a lot of Eastern spiritualism. But what brought me more to the pagan path is as I was a kid, I was, I was one of these kids that was fascinated with things like Dungeons and Dragons and Greek mythology and Norse mythology. And so from that time, I really started to immerse myself in those things. Um, at one time, they were just stories. But then when I realized really as I was getting older that these stories actually are the basis for people's spiritual beliefs all throughout history. It started to make a lot more sense and it really clicked to me from as far as my own heritage uh, of what to study. So from that aspect, that's kind of what brings me into this kind of circle. But um, also, as was said, I, I'm a veteran law enforcement officer. I've spent quite a bit of time in that field, not only that, I've worked overseas working for the United Nations as a contractor. Um, I've probably, I think I've traveled now to 33 different countries, been all over the world, and I constantly coach. Something else that I do, uh, if you ever watch the UFC and you see a guy who is refereeing the UFC and he looks like me, well, that's me. So I do referee professional MMA. Um, I do lots of workshops. I do a lot of private lessons. I also offer group classes. So I have a pretty full plate, but I'm happy to discuss all of that with you today. And I hope you guys will enjoy it. Yeah, when we were discussing topics and you kind of gave the list of things you want to talk about, I'm like, oh my gosh, we could have a podcast for each of these topics. So it's really hard to mm -hmm. uh, pick and choose what we want to talk about. Um, but if you wouldn't okay. mind, can we dive a little bit deeper into, you know, why, you know, Norse paganism kind of became the thing or just paganism in general? I know you're talking about like the metaphysical Eastern stuff and then how those stories started making sense. But was there one moment that made you realize like, okay, these gods might be a little bit more real than I thought? Um, when I visited Scandinavia, um, when you visit Scandinavia and you immerse yourself into Sweden, Norway, Denmark, and you see the landscape and you start to feel the elements the Norse gods become a lot more primal and real. And in a way, I feel that that spoke to me a lot. So when you're standing in a fjord in Norway and you feel the weather and you feel the things around you, it's just, it's an, it's just an awesome sensation. And then when you start to take that and put it together with those stories that, that we've all read, it starts to make a lot more sense because it becomes a very direct experience. And I, I believe that Norse paganism is one of the faiths that actually it's so connected to nature and it's so connected to a primal experience that it's very easy to feel more so than other faiths. So I, I would hope that answers that question. But as far as when I, as I said, when I, when I visited Scandinavia, it all kind of came together. Uh, start off, it's great to finally uh, be able to talk to you. I know we've been trying to work towards getting you on the, uh, the podcast here for a while. Yes, sir. Um, but you've got such a full plate. How do you how do you find or make time for everything that you've uh, got going on? That's a really good question, and the best way to answer that is time management. And I have a good assistant. <laughs> so one of my top students is uh, is I would call her my assistant. Uh, she's got a very fascinating story in and of herself, but at the same time, she really helps keep me on track. So also I write down everything that I have to do. I, I keep a really tight schedule, uh, but at the same time I make it work and I can make time. I mean, so it's all about what you really want to focus on. And uh, so here we are. I'm sure there's people out there needed to hear some things like that. So <laughs> that's why I wanted to ask. I'm, I'm ready to hop in. To right, hop in there, sure. Hop in there. Um, absolutely. Okay, so one of the, the main questions I am, because I'm the Thor bro, right, uh, as uh -huh. it's been dubbed, 
we know Thor is the god of fighting. So when you're practicing like the mixed martial arts or you're getting involved in it or around it, do you feel his like energy and presence? Has that changed uh, the way you approach things or anything? Um, I would tell you that I don't feel Thor's presence so much when I'm training or fighting in martial arts. I more feel Odin's guidance rather than Thor's presence. Because Odin, as we all know, is kind of the god of self-discovery. Um, when you are training in martial arts and you're looking for your own internal truths, Odin is the person you need to look for for that. When Thor is, is a sense of uh, inspiration. Thor can take what you have, take your essence and focus it into strength and focus it into that combative urge or, or that kind of stuff or your primal aggression. But at the same time, when you're really, really looking to discover yourself, that's an Odin thing. It really is. Um, so one of the things I was going to talk about, actually, uh, Baker brought up a good point, was the time management and just how busy your life is. Because a lot of people don't know this, but the, the basis behind the Wisdom of Odin channel is both Norse paganism, but it's also like a lifestyle channel in a way. That's why I'm big on the minimalism thing, because I learned that in this modern world, we have to set our own schedules, especially if we have multiple projects going on. Um, so that's an interesting lens to, to bring up as well. So one thing on that, how have you, um, so bringing in the martial arts component, how has that, you know, change, you know, it's, it's such a hard concept to go around because you have the Eastern philosophy, the martial arts part, and then this older paganism part. So what's the, like, the dichotomy like for you as far as like the martial arts and the religion? Um, well, martial arts is a, I mean, it's a spiritual experience. I, I, I will say this, that the martial arts actually does what a lot of spiritual practices claim to do. So if you think about it and you understand, um, what I mean by that, you become really in touch with the metaphysical aspects that make you more than the sum of your parts. And that's demonstrated every single day when you train. So there's no doubt that Norse paganism has roots in a warrior culture, no, no question. The Norse were very much, they were very diverse people, but at the same time, at the root was very much a primal warrior culture. So when you start to understand the martial arts and you train and you immerse yourself in something that I'm gonna say is high risk and it gives you that primal experience, you start to see what you're really made of and you start to develop things like confidence, grit, um, a survival instinct, things, things that modern people aren't always in touch with. And it's one of the, it's one of the easiest ways really in order to experience these things so that these gods can become more real to you because these gods are based in a primal past where we're not talking about modern comforts and things like that. I think that would be very alien to the people who worship these gods actually way back when. So they may have been seeking comfort, but at the same time, it wasn't a great, wasn't a giant part of their lives like it is today. And I think that we as, I would say hunter gatherers are wired for these experiences, but we find ourselves sitting on our butts, typing at desks in cubicles and things like that. And we lose that. The martial arts are probably the most direct path to bring that back to us, at least to feel this way, right? That and immersing yourself out in the elements. So again, you have to look at how your body affects your mind and how your mind affects your body. So that's gonna be your a direct gateway to this divine experience. So again, all the things like grit, drive, courage, basically the nine virtues. If you understand the nine virtues, the martial arts are a direct path to experience those things directly. And when you train with your tribe, which are the people that you train with and you understand that and you learn how to grow together, you basically have the makings of a pagan tribe. I know one of our, our members, uh, Ben, who I don't know if you even like follow him on Instagram or anything. If, I don't, do you even have an Instagram? I can't even remember. Uh, yeah, I do. I do. It's, it's pretty active. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll give you all the info okay, on that. Cool. Yeah. Uh, but he goes by Oaks and O's on there and he's really big into fitness. And he just went to, I think it's uh, like Norse Fitness or something like that or Nordic Fitness in Georgia. And they had like a big event last night. And they mm -hmm. had like everyone work out together, but also did some like religious stuff and they had fires. So right. it looked like a really magical experience. Um, mm -hmm. so I was going to ask, uh, do you have anything outside of training that you consider to be a religious experience or is it all just training nature exploration, things like that? Or do you have like a ritual practice? Uh, my ritual practice really is, is meditation. 
I've been a I've been meditating now for more than 30 years. Uh, pretty much every day, I teach meditation workshops as well. Uh, from a martial arts standpoint, like from uh, kind of from that lens, but it's a practice that I do all the time, and I've learned so much about myself, and it's given me so much clarity to which I can apply into my own personal faith and into my training as well. And it gives me, it I guess the best word it gives me is clarity. So the meditation thing is really big for me. This is a message to all of our listeners because it's not, we talk about meditation trance and like shadow work and all these things. In other words, you need to do self, like self-guided things. You need to focus on yourself at times. This is the key to unlocking more of your spirituality is things like meditation. It's things like trance work. I have people that message me all the time. They're like, how do I feel more connected to the gods? I'm like, clear your mind or change your mind. You know, these are the ways that you experience new things. So I'll, I'll give you a little kind of an idea of how I, how I view the gods myself. And it might, it might help in this, in this, like the way we're talking about this right now. So are you familiar with the hermetic principles? Not off the top of my head. Okay. Well, the hermetic principles are very, it's a very old thing from, I would say the Greek god Hermes, who then was later ported into Egypt. And, but in any case, the first one of the hermetic principles is all is mind. The Hindus have said a lot about this too, in the sense that they believe that consciousness is first. Consciousness is the bedrock that everything else springs from, okay? Now, when you go into a deep trance, you actually start to access that level uh, or that level playing field of like a collective consciousness. Well, the gods spring from that. The gods are archetypes that actually formulate, or you could call them thought forms that come from that place. And so when you understand the gods and you understand their characteristics and you realize that they are actually conscious archetypes within that bedrock, you can get in touch with them a whole lot easier because you've learned to access that space and get your own ego out of the way. So if I want to call upon Odin or I want to call upon Freya or I want to call upon Tyr, I can do that by going into that trance state and it gives me a much more direct route in, in order to speak to that deity or that thought form. Now, whether or not they are real in the sense that we are real is another discussion. And same time, they're real because we're discussing. Them. They have this consciousness. They are part of our collective consciousness. So it makes them very real. And when you experience them from the inside and out, you start to realize just how real they are and how they can have an effect in your life. And that's when strange things start happening. Like you start seeing synchronicities and you start Oh, look, a raven. Oh, look, thunder. You start to associate things in your environment with these internal processes, right? So another old school magic statement is as above, so below. What's going on inside starts to reflect on what's outside. Body, mind, and spirit working together. That's what the martial arts path can actually give you. And when you put it in the lens of paganism, this is the result. I noticed I was actually just reviewing our notes and you mentioned the outer and inner work. And it seems like that's something you've definitely based a lot of your practice on. Do you want to elaborate a little bit more mm -hmm. on those for people? Sure. The between the two? The outer work is what you do on the outside. It's taking care of your body. It's what you eat, what you put in your, into your body. It's how you, how you nourish yourself. Okay. Um, it's also your training, your strength building. It's the things that build your toughness, your grit. This is when you put those boxing gloves on and really start swing and this is when you get out on that running track and you put in 10 miles it's when you actually um, get out there and experience the world your inner work is when you turn it in and you start to experience that trance state where the focus turns inside and you start to listen to what's there and the more you learn how to listen the more it can affect what's going on on the outer too many people today are what's going on inside is nothing but a lot of garbage um things they read, things they see on social media, things that basically it's five second sound bites that clutter and pollute our minds in order and it distracts us constantly. And so on the outside, we're basically just on autopilot. That's how most people live. Now, if you reflect back on how people in ancient times lived, those distractions were not there. So that inner clarity was probably a whole lot more accessible to them as opposed to people today that have filled their minds with internal garbage. 
I think one of the most powerful things about the gatherings we put on is the fact that it removes people from their cell phones and social media and the world for up to three days. And not that the saying that the religious experience aren't intense, but when you have people that haven't had that in years, if ever, and you take them and put them in the middle of a place, they don't have cell phone reception. All they have is people, campfires and the gods. You can really see the difference in people. Um, just when I filmed the music video a couple of week, uh, two weekends now, um, the guy from LA hadn't left LA in over two years and hadn't gone into nature. And so it was, he actually got sick when he first got into the, like the woods and to the mountains and he was throwing up and it was really like his body was throwing up the city. And by the final day, he was like, this is the change I needed. He's like, the air is clean. The water is clean. I can put my hands in the water and not worry for it. And it was really, truly like a, a kind of powerful thing. So I, I definitely agree with you. I, I've always described it as a numbness. Like people are just numb nowadays. They don't actually feel anything. And once you actually understand how to feel things again, that's when light, you truly start living life again. Right. Watch the movie Fight Club. Fight Club, explore, read the book Fight Club. It totally explores that. It explores this, this consumer culture numbness that everyone's experiencing. And it's, we're not meant to be like this. We, we were not wired to be like this. We were wired to be outside. We were wired to be hunting for food, looking for mates. We were hired to be in fights. I mean, we, I, mean we, I say we were hired. We were, we were bred. We were wired to be these things. And we're not doing most of those things today. Most of what we're doing today is just a bare reflection of some of those things. I mean, we may work, we may say we work more intellectually now, but I really don't, I don't even think that's true. I, because I think that your body and your mind are so connected that if you're not working one, the other is really going to atrophy. So you have to be in touch with both sides. And I think that Norse paganism, and just paganism in general, if you truly understand it, is absolutely a synergy of your mind and body. Uh, now, I will say this about a lot of pagans that I've met, um, and I don't want anyone to take offense to this. Uh, I wanted to, because I wanted to be kind of clear what I'm saying. A lot of modern pagans that I've met tend to be, they have real trouble integrating the warrior path into what they do and what they believe, because they're very soft. And now, when I say soft, I mean, they, they're non-confrontational, which is good. I'm not by any means trying to say that what I do is being a bully or anything like that. But if you look at life through such a soft lens, like many pagans today, you, you miss out on your own self-empowerment. The better you get at the warrior path, the much less likely it is that you are going to go around and be a bully or you're going to start trouble or start fights or anything like that. Okay. So, but when you don't put, like, I'll say this, when you don't embrace that part of yourself, this could probably go into a little bit of shadow work. If you don't embrace that part of yourself, it tends to manifest in strange ways. Um, like you start to become things like a bully or you mistreat people or you are really passive aggressive and things like that. If you don't embrace these things. So, I see it as a way to become more holistic as a human being. We have to, we have to accept our flaws just as we, uh, as we accept our positive points. So another way that you could really, really look at that is that when you study martial arts and you fight, now I don't, when I say fight, I don't necessarily mean you don't have to get into the cage, you don't have to do anything like that, but when you regularly test yourself, you get to see both the best in humanity and the worst in humanity at the same time. And what I mean by that is this, you will see people that are getting beat up and they just have to rise to a certain level of courage. They have to rise beyond the sum of their parts. They, they're getting beat up, they're getting beat on, they're out of breath, they're winded. It seems like there's no hope, but they learn how to call what's inside. They learn how to go inside and dig really, really deep. And that is what makes us triumphant as a human species. But on the other side of that, we're still fighting each other. And we have to realize that the fact that we are still fighting each other is again, hardwired into us. And it's not going away anytime soon. Even as much as people would like to believe that, oh, we're evolving past that. We're not evolving past that. That's part of who we are. 
And if you understand how evolution works, that's going to take a long, long, long time to be wired out of us. We might be talking on iPhones with technology and stuff like that, but at the same time, we are still the same hunter-gatherer that was way back when. Our minds are pretty much the same. Our bodies are pretty much the same. We've adapted. We've evolved mentally a bit, but at the same time, those, those urges are still there, and you have to embrace them in a way that is, um, I should say, productive and not something that you're going to disrupt society with. So that's another reason for this kind of path. Now that's, that's really sticking with me. The idea of like the fighting still happens. It's just changed. I mean, it, it takes one look on social media to see that we still fight as much as we always have. It's just changed the face of how mm -hmm. we do it. Um, there's an interesting change. So with me being 26, um, I was in high school when, before smartphones existed, like my first, I saw my first smartphone when I was a senior in high school. So when I was in elementary school, they were never, no one even knew about this. Like my parents still told me never to get on my, MySpace and things like that. And so when I got bullied, it was only at school. Like I would leave home and like the bullies were gone. I didn't have to worry about them. But now the bullies follow you always because people can always attack people nowadays online. And it's the strangest thing because uh, the kid I mentor in photography, he gets bullied all the time online. And I'm like, that's such a hard thing to deal with. Uh, you know, when I was a kid and getting bullied in person, I eventually had to learn I had to fight back and fighting back online almost, you know, leads to nothing. It's, it's the weirdest dilemma, but ultimately I'm like, gosh, just don't let the kids go online. <laughs> <laughs> well, the internet and technology is really a double-edged sword as well. I mean, we, we've come to a point where we actually need it. And I believe it actually is part of our evolution as a human species to be able to connect in this way that, that we do. So, but again, you have to, I think we're also in the, I'm going to say in the beginning phases of exponential change. And what we're going through right now, when we look at technology and science and how we communicate online, it, it, it's, it's growing pains. It's growing pains for exponential change. Now, I will say this, when you, have you ever been, I don't know if you've been yet in a good virtual reality rig. Have, have you tried this yet? Not a good one, but I've tried some of them. Sure. You, your brother has virtual reality, doesn't he? So have you done it? Yeah, um, you know, the PlayStation, we have that one. We have Oculus, the uh, PC has one. So, yeah, I've, I've done heavy VR stuff to try. So my, my point for asking you that is to realize that when VR improves a little bit more and we have something like a real telepresence and we're in people's space or presence again, that's when our social skills are really going to have to come back because when you start looking at how we text each other or make posts on Facebook or posts on Instagram or Twitter and all that, that's very impersonal. And you would be, you're much more likely to say something that you wouldn't say to someone to their face in person. And when virtual reality gets good enough, like, like ready player one good enough, I think our social skills will come back. And I, I'm, so I'm optimistic about that, even though I've been sitting here talking about getting out in the woods and getting out in nature and stuff like that. I do believe that there will become a point where there'll be an intersection again based on our technology and our understanding of what it, what it means to really have a holistic experience as a human being. Yeah, mo most definitely because like with VR, uh, they're definitely Sony and other companies are trying to make it as lifelike as possible. And when you're sitting across from another human being and you're discussing things, that that is a little bit tougher like you're saying. Um, but a question I really want to ask you is like, how would you uh, advise someone to start the warrior path on, on their journey or whatever? For, like you said, because a lot of us pagan nowadays don't embrace this warrior path or side. And, you know, we might work out, we might have our own little things, but we don't embrace the inner warrior. Uh, so that's another question I have for you. Okay, that's an excellent question. And my answer might surprise you a little bit because some people are going to expect me to say, go and find a HEMA group or like, a, you know, historical European martial arts or start uh, swinging swords around. Not exactly. I would tell you to go and find a boxing gym or a Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym. And the reason, or if you're in high school, join the wrestling team. What I think that you should be doing is sports like combat sports that allow you to go full contact where you really have to dig deep, but they're established sports 
in the sense that you can do them pretty much safely, right? You'll go, you'll get some knocks and some bumps and bruises, but boxing, kickboxing, judo, jujitsu, some of these things, like, like I said, high school wrestling, those things will give you the spiritual dimension that I was talking about before, where it actually makes you have to strive within yourself. If you're studying something that's like a demonstration art, like you're just kind of clacking swords around or doing something like that, and there's no real risk inherent, you're not going to get the same benefit. Risk, <clears throat> risk equals that primal experience, okay? Risk also, there's a possibility of failure. You have to face yourself. Um, I think high school wrestling is absolutely a wonderful vehicle because I've seen it transform so many kids, my own son, in fact. I have a 19 year old son who um, he's been, he was the captain of his wrestling team. Uh, he did, I mean, wrestling did so much for him. Now he's doing judo, jujitsu, boxing, kickboxing. I mean, just like I did as a kid, I started martial arts when I was 10. And I think that if you go into something that's more of a demonstration art, like Kung Fu or maybe Krav Maga or something like that, you're not going to have the purity of that risk of something like boxing, kickboxing, jujitsu, or wrestling. Because here's the bottom line. Think of it like this. If you ever go online and look up in on YouTube and you see a martial arts demonstration, you'll see like Krav Maga demonstration. And underneath in the comments, it'll say, wow, that was cool. Does it work? Or, or you'll see a Kung Fu demonstration or an Aikido demonstration. And it says, wow, that was awesome. Does it, you know, you'll see the comment, does it work? But you, you could go on the same YouTube and you could type in 12-year-old boxing tournament or 14-year-old boxing tournament. And there's no comments that say, oh, boxing's beautiful. Does it work? And the same thing would be with, with wrestling, like a high school wrestling tournament. Just go sit through one and watch. You're not going to come out of there asking, does wrestling work? You're going to come out of there seeing young men who have, and women who have wrestled. And that's, that's the evidence that you need. Right. And so when you start the martial path, you have to get on something like that where you you're going to test yourself. You'll fail a lot, but you have to test yourself. Yeah, we, we have a I agree because we have a guy in the discord. His name is Chris. And he said, just go get punched in the face. He said, they'll teach you a lot. You need to know. That's correct. I'm sure Chris would punch whoever, in our, whoever we want in the face, too. <laughs> he would gladly do it. Well, there's, there's the other side of self-control. You, you also have to have self-control. So these last uh, like 15, 20 minutes we've been talking, that's like you started talking about uh, wrestling and everything like that in high school. It, everything that we were talking about just taking me back to the memories I had in middle school and uh, my first couple of years of high school whenever I, I wrestled. And I ended up having to stop where I got injured. But it was it was a great learning experience. And the thing that I keep feeling like I need to say, just, I guess just to get it out there is, we will not, we never will grow as people or man, humanity, whatever you want to call it, unless you challenge yourself and you face adversity. Uh, it's just how, just how it is. Absolutely. You know, you, you're 100%. never going to grow. You're never going to grow if you don't have to get over anything. No. And I think the people in the ancient past, their lives were constantly that everything that they did was they had to test themselves and dig really deep just to eat, just to bring in the harvest, just to take care of their households, everything challenged them to that point so it made them a lot stronger and a lot hardier than people are today but today we can still we can have that we just have to understand how to direct our energies in order to be able to live that kind of life to get that kind i mean i, I think the quality of life is probably what it is that we're looking for when it comes to that and even though we live in a very different time we if we understand ourselves and understand our physiology and understand how that affects our mental health man, you, you, you really, you got to be on this path nowadays. Yeah. This whole time I'm thinking, uh, I've always sought to join a boxing gym. I've just been lazy, but, um, the thing that's always driven me has actually been hiking. So I got really into hiking when I was about 18, when I finally moved out of my parents' house, their idea of hiking was to drive up to the scenic view and then get back in the car after you take the pictures. And so I always wondered like, what happens if I hike up to that view instead? And that gave me that, that risk. You know, and that's the first thing my mom asks is, why would you climb that mountain? That's risky. I'm like, that's why I did it, though, is because it was risky. Because without risk in life, there really is, it, it, there's no meaning to it. 
And um, I got really into exploring abandoned factories and things like that. Like, yeah, is there risk exploring these things? Yeah, but you have to have that edge in life. Otherwise, like, you, I don't know. Like, I feel like everything's just not worth it. And it's numb if you don't have those moments of being on the edge. Oh, absolutely. Um, every, everybody who knows me will tell you that I'm pretty much a risk-taking adrenaline junkie. I mean, I do go skydiving. I ride a motorcycle. Uh, I actually ride with a, a motorcycle club called Banded Brothers. So uh, kind of a group of first responders, military people, um, just really, really good guys who most of which have been in some sort of combat at some point in their life, uh, either in the military or in on the front lines of law enforcement and firefighting and things like that. Um, yeah, you, you really, I realized that that extreme of a lifestyle is not for everyone. And I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying that in order to better understand yourself and how to become a better person um, is that constant challenge, that constant little bit of risk. If that risk is there and it forces you to grow beyond it, there's no limit to how strong you can actually become. Yeah, and to, to pull it back into the, you know, the hiking experience, you know, just for you know, the, the mm -hmm. people listening, the first mountain I ever climbed was barely a mountain. I, don't, I think it qualified as a big hill. It was called like Welch Mountain right. here in Berea. But then, you know, I climbed okay. that a few times, got better and better. And then I was like, okay, I want to do something more serious. So that's when I went to Colorado and I actually ended up uh, hiking, I think it was called the Lost Lake Mountain. And at the very top of the mountain mm -hmm. is a lake. And I was like, I have to make it up there. It was a four mile, four mile all uphill hike up the mountain. And, you know, every time we got another, you know, a thousand feet further, it got colder. And it started, mm -hmm. I believe at 70 degrees at the base. And at the top, it was 32 degrees and snowing. And so it's right, like, right. And it's such a visual representation of everything you've done. Like I've climbed smaller mountains to get here. And to me, that was one of the big aha moments for me. I mean, that was, you know, that was last year. So this YouTube was only like 120 subscribers, but getting to that top and seeing that lake and it's like, okay, life is hard. The climb is hard, but when you get to the top or when you get to look back and see how far you've gone, that that's the, that's the crust of life right there. That's the goodness. Oh man, absolutely. I've been hiking. I've, uh, I hiked the exit glacier in, in Alaska. I climbed that. I've also climbed and hiked in, in the Pyrenees on the border of France and Spain. Uh, I've hiked in Nevada. Um, I've climbed, I climbed Red, uh, Red Rock, which uh, that doesn't really count. It's not that big of a deal, but it's beautiful. Uh, camped in the Grand Canyon. I've, uh, camped all over Europe. Um, so yeah, I, I, again, that's getting into the outdoors. Hiking is right in my wheelhouse. Absolutely. But I'm a, uh, I'm a, I'm a big advocate getting out there into nature, especially of hiking. Cause I work inside of a, uh, a big chemical plant. And if you ever see it from above, uh, it looks, it's literally, it's called a city inside of a city because right. it's literally like half the size of Kingsport that I, I, I live in. And the place I work is called East. Um, it's huge. And I'm in there, especially like now, like I've worked 60 hours this week. Um, I've got one day off and then I'm going to have, I'm going to work 14 more days before I have another day off. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm stuck inside of this big concrete jungle, just full of steel beams and pipes and everything else. And it just makes you feel so disconnected. And the thing that I always forget, but I, I always have to try to fight to bring it back out to the front of my mind is that that was the first place I ever had a contact in, uh, with the gods. That's where Thor first showed himself to, was inside of that you know, mm -hmm. giant mass of concrete and steel. But every mm -hmm. chance that I get, I get out into nature so I can, you know, I can really ground myself and kind of try to, to really grow that connection. Um, right. But, sorry, I, I can tell you more of this, like a little preaching thing instead of a question or a comment. I'm sorry about that. Uh, no, no, <laughs> no, no, not at all. I, I could, I could tell you a personal experience I had with Thor uh, myself. I was, um, I was out walking my dogs. And um, at the time I had a lot of real, I had some real questionable things going on. When I say questionable, I was um, nothing. I mean, we all go through ups and downs in life, right? You have problems, you have different things. Well, I was very unsure in my actual job, in my law enforcement job. I was trying to get promoted and I was trying to get sent to a different place and it kept not happening. And I kept being felt like I was really in a rut. And I had a lot of things going on with uh, also with this actually happened um, kind of toward the beginning of COVID. Um, and man, I was, I just found myself stuck in a lot of places and I was super frustrated. 
So I was frustrated with my teaching because COVID actually decimated our gym, as you can probably imagine. I've had to rebuild the program quite a few times because of COVID. At the same time, I was having a rough time at work and I really, I didn't see a clear path forward. And, um, and as we all know, you can't really ask Odin for things like that because he's just gonna demand that you grow up um, because he's not always around, all right? But I was walking my dog and the weather was fairly nice. Um, I actually have two pit bulls. They're, they're my, my personal Gary and Frankie, right? But at the same time, I, they're my, like my little daughters. Anyway, I'm walking one of them. And as I'm walking her, the weather changed so quickly, like almost imperceptibly quickly. And a lightning bolt struck no less, no less than like 50 feet away from me. It was this booming resonance and it left this, this charge in the air. And the first thing that popped in my mind was, I'm right here with you. And obviously we know who that is, okay? <laughs> so it, it's just an example. Uh, and I came home and I told my girlfriend, I said, man, I almost got struck by lightning. And she thought, oh my God, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm more than okay. That, that resonance really came through. And it, I mean, just the, the, the boom of that, of that lightning strike and the, the thunder and the way the weather changed so quickly. And I'm right here with you. Okay. So I, again, these things happen all the time. Like very often I'll, this is another weird idiosyncrasy, but I say idiosyncrasy, I should say synchronicity. That's a better word. Sometimes when I'm pondering like problems or where to go next or I'm confused, ravens appear, blackbirds, and they start looking at me and I'm like, okay, I get it. So in other words, you, you, there's always these little indicators of things that are coming at you from that, that field of consciousness, but they're manifesting in a way that you can identify with, right? And basically the way we have chosen to, um, the way we have chosen to formulate our faith, that's what's happening, right? And I'm not saying it wouldn't, it, it may be different for someone who's a Christian. It may be different for someone who is like, you know, a polytheist that does Greek or Hindu or something like that. But it, if we believe that mind and consciousness is the bedrock and foundation, it can take many forms. Just for us, it takes these forms, if that makes sense. No, that makes total sense. So when actually that kind of leads me into a question I had earlier on, because you talked about being in Scandinavia and, you know, feeling the presence of, you know, this faith there. How do you, you know, a lot of people struggle being here in the United States, especially the Southern United States or, you know, New Mexico, or even Texas in some instances of connecting to the gods and climates that aren't necessarily the same as a Scandinavian climate. Do you have any advice for someone or like, do you have any experiences that you could share on like, how to still have that connection outside of, you know, the fjords of Norway? Um, so you can travel, obviously, but at the same time, depending on where you are, you have to sort of listen to what's there. So, I mean, I don't know of a place where there's not thunder, lightning, and storms, okay? Uh, I don't know of a place where there's not winds uh, or sunshine or nighttime. I mean, all these things are pretty much universal right? So just because you're like the fjord actually will bring you more into the majesty and you can kind of understand how these ancient peoples might have looked at their gods with this giant stature. I mean, it's not an, it's, it's not an accident that giants play such a huge role in Norse mythology, because when you go to the, the fjords of Norway, it really looks like a place that was built for giants. So it's very easy to see, to make that intellectual leap. Right. But if you're in New Mexico and you have the beauty of the desert, the sereneness of the desert, I love New Mexico. I've been there. I can definitely feel the gods there. See, the gods walk many paths. The gods don't only stay in Scandinavia. They just get that might just give you an example of how the Norse gods might have been formulated in people's minds. But if you expand yourself a little bit and you travel everywhere, we're evolving. So you can find them pretty much, I mean, put it this way. What is, what is Odin? Odin is a wanderer. Odin goes everywhere. So if you understand that, you might find, you might encounter Odin in Miami, 
right? You may also encounter Odin in Alaska. Uh, you could, you might encounter Odin in China. It really just depends. So, <clears throat> and again, the gods are within you. If you're looking for advice on matters of love or matters of like passion or something like that, you might channel Freya. It doesn't matter where you are, but look in your environment, learn what to, what to listen for. So I'm telling you that like, maybe you won't be able to get to Norway, but if you learn that inner stillness and learn what to reach for, no matter what your surroundings are in nature, something's gonna speak to you. There's, there's no doubt. I grew up in the swamps. Uh, I, I mean, I'm from New Orleans. So I, a lot of my childhood was fishing, hunting, uh, trotting in the swamps in like waist deep water, mosquitoes, 100 degree heat. I mean, kind of the opposite environment of Scandinavia. But I am well-traveled, so yeah. Now, so anytime I do these podcasts, I always think, because I get probably about 150, 200 messages a week on just basic questions people have. And I try to formulate, okay, what are people asking me? And it comes up quite a bit. People are like, hey, how do I feel the gods unless I go to Iceland? And I'm like, you don't have to do that. You know, I felt the gods many times here in Kentucky, even the, the horrific humidity here in Kentucky that now, Caleb, you know that it is actually so bad here, or sure, because you were saying when you were here last time, you're like, it's just so wet. <laughs> like It's a wet humidity. Um, and so we might have you beat. Yeah, I'm sure you <laughs> have me beat, but I'm worse than Texas. <laughs> right. Yeah, when it's cold, it's still humid. It makes no sense. Um, right. Yeah, so that's one question that comes up all the time. And, you know, it's something that, you know, I like to answer a lot. But at the same time, I think it's, I think it's better when I have other people say, hey, it's okay. You could feel the gods in the desert. Like, like you said, there's still sun. There's still day. There's still night. You know, there's still storms. You could, the gods are there, and they're also within you. Um. I was actually, so the last thing you actually had written on things you like to talk about, um, you said a, a, a walking a pagan path in a very confused and a divided world. Is there anything you want to uh, like expand on that a little bit? We've kind of touched on it here and there. Well, I mean, if it just takes one trip out into public to realize that people are super confused right now. And at the same time, they really don't know which way to reach. And a lot of people are looking for something to actually believe in. Um, it's almost like they're looking for the right kind of nothing, okay, is, is where they are. I mean, that's, that's a good way to look at how most people walk through life. They're very, everything is reactive. Nothing is really proactive. Uh, they don't have command of their, of their own lives. But this gives it a perspective and a focal point in order to, to, to be able to take a little bit more control of your life. It, in many ways, it's like the ultimate self-help tool. Uh, martial arts. Like I said, it does these spiritual things that a lot of other paths claim to do. Now, the other thing is that as confused as this country is, you might catch a lot of crap for being an open pagan in very Christian places. That's another thing, right? So you have to be able to have enough intellectual wit to be able to stand on your own two feet to be able to talk to people like that because there are a lot of very close-minded people out there and um so that's another another factor but again i look at i choose to look at it as um it's just another tool to make me better it's just another tool to make me learn more about myself uh, know thyself that's one of the greatest commandments ever but um especially like now if you're in new orleans I, I have to say I'm kind of spoiled because if the weirdest thing you are in New Orleans is a pagan, then you're you're plenty good because New Orleans might be the weirdest place in the whole country. Um, I don't know if you've ever been here, but I can tell you it's it, it's pretty tolerant. So but at the same time, I have traveled to many places like, uh, you know, Mississippi, Alabama, uh, parts of Florida, these Bible Belt places. You really have to be able to embrace who you are and what you do. And. Don't be afraid to discuss that with people who are maybe a little more closed-minded. So it gives you a much greater sense of self-identity, but don't be hostile about it. There's no reason to be hostile about it. So think about it like that. No, I mean, that's, that's great advice. I mean, most of us, I mean, shoot, all of us are from, you know, I'm from Kentucky, shirts from Texas, you know, Baker's from uh, Tennessee. So we've all had to deal with that. Sure, more than anyone, because he actually was in the church system really big. Um, so... It's just, you know, like you said, every time I have an opportunity to explain our faith more to people, I take that as a, a lesson, take that as a, a tool to sharpen my, myself with. Um, so I think that's a really great thing to leave people with, um, just because 
I've never had like a negative interaction with someone that is closed-minded in the sense that like they tell me I'm going to hell or anything like that. But for the most part, they leave going, oh, I guess this is a little bit real, even though they don't want to quite admit it. <laughs> oh, I've had, I've had that. I've had quite a few people tell me that I'm going to go burn in hell and stuff like that. I've, I've had, yeah, I've had that experience. And I mean, opinions vary. <laughs> so... I mean, there's, you're not going to turn everyone. And that's why I'm saying there's no need to be hostile about it. You need to really be, I, I look at it like this, kind of like law enforcement. When I train, when I train people in law enforcement, like new rookies and things like that, I tell them that the number one thing you have to have before anything else is respect. You need to respect all the people that you come into contact with, because you, you can, if you start with respect, everything else can go a lot smoother right? Then from once you have respect, then you can embrace what I call protect. You learn how to protect your community. You learn how to be involved in your community. You learn how to be that guardian that you signed up to be, right? Where you're not discriminating against people, where you're not letting your own biases get in the way. Um, you, you learn how to really from, and that, that it's, a, it's an outgrowth of respect. And the same thing can be said about this that we're talking about right now. And then from there, from protect, you have to move on to connect. You learn how to connect the community and learn how to connect people who might not otherwise be connected. And by doing that, your circle grows and it actually starts to grow exponentially. And then you can, then you can call upon resources that you really almost forgot that you had because you have this web. So if you start with respect and you go to protect and you become that guardian, then you can connect to everyone. And again, that's part of the warrior path. That's true if you're in the military. That's true if you're any kind of first responder or if you're a Norse pagan like right now, right? So I think that's good advice for life in general. Now, I think a lot of people that want to pursue the warrior path need to hear that because I think they have this idea of this bloodthirsty Viking when they hear the warrior path. And that's just simply not something that we really even have room for in this society and this faith. <clears throat> You know, it needs to be someone that, like you said, respects, protects, and uh, connects. I mean, that's such a powerful thing to hear. Um, just today, I read a message from someone. They're like, I want to become a berserker. I'm like, why? You, you don't just want to become that. Like, why do you want to become that? I think that the, I would probably say that's that's the white elephant in the room is the berserker stuff and the, the uh, you know, Viking raids and things like that. So the way to look at that is I think paganism has grown up in a lot of ways, similar to how Catholics have sort of grown up, right? I can, I can kind of make this analogy. The Catholics used to be crusaders. The Catholics were, I mean, when you start thinking about the, the Spanish inquisition and things like that, I mean, these were people that were fumbling through a very difficult time and a much, a time that was much less connected than we are now. And so now when we understand each other as human beings better, we can grow up and evolve. But that need for fighting is still there. And that's why I'm saying if you do it in a way that's productive, like within a martial arts community, you're going to find that that part of your life, you can express it the right way in a productive way and nobody gets hurt. So when it comes to I want to be a berserker or something like that, I mean, that's pretty foolish because you don't really understand. You're asking, oh, do I want to go back in time and be this? I mean, that's not really a positive thing. And there's not a whole lot of evidence to show that berserkers were that effective to begin with. So if you, if you really want to think about it, the Vikings actually understood martial arts quite well. Uh, but again, they weren't perfect. No ancient combatives group were perfect. So embrace it in a way today that's productive and can help you move forward and express your aggression in a healthy way that, that that's going to benefit you and benefit everybody else i need a sound bite that so i can send that to everyone that wants to be a viking warrior that messages me <laughs> um sure baker you guys have anything else to close out with we're getting close to the hour mark yeah i just need to throw something man on the whole berserker thing because y'all well because well jacob and um and, and sure they know my thing with what happened at the fall gathering and all that but the tattoo that I, that Odin sent to me a while back uh, that I got before the fall gathering makes a whole lot more sense now. Just off, off everything we've been talking about, man knows little, and that pertains directly a lot to the warrior path and to the uh, to especially like the whole berserker thing. Just because 
they all we all have these like perceptions in our mind of what it's supposed to be, but really we're just scratching the surface on especially the berserker part. <laughs> if only they knew you, what all it entailed. <laughs> well, you can learn, yeah, you can learn a lot more about the berserker stuff if you actually go to Sweden. Like go to the Swedish National Museum and talk to some of the curators and people there and talk to people who are actually in that environment. That that's more along the lines of like a I'm gonna use the term violent shamanism is a is a, a good way to put that. Um, that, that that's a deeper that, that you could do a whole podcast on that. I can tell you right now because I do have some knowledge into that, but I'm telling you that it's sort of a different it, it's kind of out there, right? And it's so that's a different discussion. No, that's actually, I mean, sure. I mean, Baker, when we were first talking about it, um, there's like the two paths of Odin, it seems like there's the wanderer path of shamanism, and then there's the like the barbarian, like the berserker path or the violent shamanism. And we were kind of talking about that, like it's two different things, they both require a lot of discipline, and you kind of have to choose which one you kind of lock into. Uh, but no, uh, the only thing like I would like to add is like you were saying with the warrior path and everything is we need it as, as part of the our gods for sure, and how the culture was back then, and it will help develop us as human beings because you, you kind of touched on what i talked about a little bit last night as pagans we have a world accepting view and when you have that view that changes the way you look at things and the way society is today is they don't want us to have a world accepting they want us to be consumers and robots essentially where we just consume everything and we as pagans are starting to change that mindset we're beginning to go back to how our ancestors were and that upsets the ecosystem that society is trying to put us in. Absolutely. I, I would agree with that statement a hundred percent. You have to break that cycle of consumerism before you can really grow. I mean, obviously there are things we all need and there are things that we all need to, to, uh, to participate in society. So, I mean, that part is true, but it, there's a lot to be said for, trying to buy stuff that you don't need to impress people that you don't really like. And the thing, again, that's a fight club quote. I mean, where the things that you own end up owning you. I mean, if you really want to be independent and self-driven, you, you have to start to get away from stuff like that. And you, you need to stop chasing stuff and start chasing experiences because experiences never leave you. If I buy some like little, trinket or whatever that's expensive and it shows me a little bit of like temporary status that doesn't last it doesn't but i can guarantee you when i climb that exit glacier in alaska i'll never forget that 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 definitely lasts and that's one of those experiences that we can internalize it becomes a spiritual part of us and it adds to our experience to where when you buy things that, that's useless really i mean because one thing that the warrior path will definitely do is give you a better relationship with death. And then when you realize, like, you can't take all these things with you, but you can take those experiences to your grave, right? And now, whether we're talking about Valhalla or we're talking about Folkwanger or anything like that, again, that's another podcast. I'd be happy to come talk about those because uh, I definitely have my own theories and uh I guess you could say suppositions about those. Um, but at the same time, it gives you a better relationship with yourself, better relationship with death. And then you end up learning how to chase experience by learning to do that and getting away from a lot of material things that you really don't need, man, you can, your life will be a lot better. No, that's awesome. I was actually thinking at the very beginning of this podcast, I was like, I bet this guy has some great thoughts on the afterlife. I thought about asking some, but now we'll have to bring you back to the afterlife episode. <laughs> oh, I'm happy to do that, man. I, there's a lot of things I can discuss on this podcast <laughs> that, that, that really don't even relate to necessarily fighting a martial arts. I mean, just the internal stuff alone, like accessing trance states. I mean, things along that, I mean, that can apply across the board. We can definitely do that. We can talk about the afterlife. We can talk about uh, just the metaphysical aspects of this and like why that's misunderstood so much. I mean, again, I have a full plate, but I mean, I could, I, I mean, this was fun. I would, I would enjoy talking to you guys. I mean, and delving into this stuff much more. I want to get you and Chris in the same room, honestly. Right. That's what I was saying. Chris. 
in the same room talking about the afterlife, the warrior path. Some of these things would be great. We'd have to invite Chris mm -hmm. as well on that podcast for sure. And Myron, you definitely have a standing invitation to any gathering we have too. We're having one here in Kentucky uh, for Yule. And then I know we're going to have another one in the spring for sure. And there's one in the South happening for Yule too. So you're definitely, you have an open invitation to those things. Yeah, oh man, I, I appreciate that much, very much. And you guys have an open invitation to New Orleans. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. You're saying it's pretty weird. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm going to yeah. ever go down there. I'm going to have to try to find this guy. Oh yeah. <laughs> New Orleans is great. Oh. New Orleans is actually the Halloween capital of the world, although I can tell you that this year it, it just didn't happen because of the storm and because of the COVID stuff. It, man, it was really, I, I like to say it's the Halloween of wasted potential because it was a Saturday, it had a full moon, the weather was gorgeous, and you had an extra hour because of daylight savings time. What more could you ask for Halloween? And if you grew up in New Orleans like me, Halloween is, oh my God, it is the celebration. New or there's nothing like walking through the French Quarter in these dark alleys that have this Euro kind of feel. Um, and I mean, we are like the vampire capital of the world. We are the voodoo capital of the world. We are, uh, and it all comes dovetails in with Halloween. And mm -hmm. it's like, it's Halloween land uh, really here. And, not, and then with, with a lot of the Spanish immigration, that we've had a lot of the day of the dead stuff has also lumped itself in with all of the Halloween stuff in New Orleans. So it, it's, it, it is definitely the best time to be here, but just not right now. <laughs> yeah, definitely with that and Mardi Gras, definitely those are the two times you want to go to New Orleans. Yes, sir. Seems like you have opinions on my, uh, Myron on Mardi Gras. I heard a grunt. <laughs> Mardi Gras is you look at it very differently if you're a first responder. So oh, I um, I, if you're a tourist, yes, you have to come and see Mardi Gras. No, no doubt. But you got to come see it once. And yeah. you have to realize that Mardi Gras is not really New Orleans. I just, I'm just like the French Quarter. If you go up and down Bourbon Street, I mean, it's fun once or twice, but it's not the essence of New Orleans. There are lots of other places and neighborhoods that I would take you to some of the greatest restaurants in the world that are absolutely not in the French Quarter. The, the French Quarter is a really strange dynamic of like, it's a tourist trap, it's dangerous, it's very edgy, but at the same time, and I say that in not really in a fun way. Like I've been to edgy places that are fun, but like, I don't, I wouldn't put that in the same category. So Mardi Gras, I mean, put it like this. Have you ever been in a place where there's so many people, you just can't even move to go pee? If you're, if you're drinking or whatever, I mean, it's like, it's a real problem. You're, you're shoulder to shoulder with thousands of people all jammed up on one street. And in order to move two blocks, it might take 45 minutes. I, that's not really fun. Yeah, I'm out on that. Um, but we do need to start closing this podcast. We're definitely over the hour mark. So uh, Myron, thank you so much for being on the show. Is there anything else you want to say? And if you have any place that you want people to find you at, like Instagrams, emails, or anything like that, so, uh, go and share yeah, definitely. If you, uh, my actual website is couragecombatives.com. We actually didn't even talk much about that, but you can find me at couragecombatives.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram uh, at myga1123 is my Instagram handle. Um, and you can find me on Facebook. I'm pretty much, I'm under my own name, Myron Godet, G-A-U-D-E-T. But uh, if anybody has any follow-up questions or anything like that, um, that they want to reach out to me after listening to the podcast, just hit me up on uh, through either of those mediums, and I'll be very happy to answer your questions. And I hope to be back on at some point soon because this was a lot of fun. Oh, definitely. Especially with since you're only four hours away from me, uh, I'm one of the organizers for South Central. So whenever I have a gathering, I'll definitely be letting you know, bro. Absolutely. I'd love to do that, man. That would be fun. Yeah, no doubt. So, but anyway, I appreciate it guys. And uh, if you need anything else, let me know, shoot me an email and I'm happy to come back anytime.
All right. Awesome. Well, folks, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Folk Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you're interested in being in the Folk, Pack, uh, Folk Podcast, we are talking about that right now as we plan out November's episodes. So please email us at thefolkpodcast at gmail.com, all lowercase, thefolkpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to have you on the show. It sounds like we're definitely having Myron on the show. Man, he's got some mead. I love it. Uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Uh, folk, thank you so much. And until the hall, skull. 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 skull.